chapter 18, the three visitors. It says here in verse 1, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you may be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they said, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three says of fine flour and knead it to make some bread. So he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. When they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my husband is old, now I will have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. And that's the end of that little passage. Afterward, well, we'll pick up afterward after that. This is probably Abraham and Sarah's best moment in the whole book of Genesis where they're, they're uh, entertaining the angels just like they should. Uh, they're not telling anybody that Sarah's Abraham's sister. They're not, you know, well, Sarah laughed at God and lied about it, but... That's kind of a small thing, and I think God had his own reasons for being there and for kind of putting Sarah under the spotlight. But if you look throughout the rest of the Bible, uh, a lot of the commandments in the New Testament are modeled after their behavior here. I mean, when God talks about how men and women and, and young boys and girls are supposed to behave, there's a lot of this hospitality brought up and uh, Sarah's humility and Abraham's service and it's all very wonderful and so uh, even when Jesus says wash your feet I mean uh, that we can wash each other's feet that's modeled and this is the first time I think we see a foot washing in Genesis so but more importantly I think something we need to bring up, and Adam said we were going to focus on, is that um, up to this point, God has only made his promise to Abraham, right? He's appeared to Abraham, and he said, uh, I'm going to give you a son, Sarah's going to be the mother, yada, yada, yada. 
and Sarah's hearing it through Abraham the whole time. God never says it to Sarah himself. But here, uh, they make sure that Sarah's within earshot. They even ask her about her, and they say her name. And, you know, that way, if she hears, she's going to start listening. And then they make the prophecy so that she'll know. And, and then... Uh, they even call her out on her response and you could say well that was a repose but it's also kind of them confirming with Sarah see if Sarah is going to be part of the miracle then she needs to have the same faith that Abraham did right in, in Hebrews 11 it says by faith Abraham became able to have a son through his faith his biology was changed well, Sarah's part of this promise as well. And so she needs the same faith that Abraham had. So God comes to Sarah. Uh, he speaks to her, even though it's not directly. And he makes the promise to know that she hears it. And when she does hear it, he makes sure that she knows that it's the Lord making the prophecy. Because it says here, she laughed to herself inside the tent. Uh, nobody should have heard it. Nobody should have seen it. And if she lied about it, they certainly shouldn't have been so certain who is to call her out on it because they couldn't see or hear that. That's like when Jesus said, I saw you, Nathaniel, under the fig tree. And, and it, that knowledge blew him away. He was like, surely you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. They're saying, I saw you, Sarah. I know you. I, I saw your heart. I saw your soul. I am that I am. And that tells Sarah, I'm God, and you're going to have a baby. And now she's heard it with her own ears. Like, uh, you know, when God speaks directly to Mary, and Joseph's kind of got to take it at Mary's word, and he's not, I mean, he wants to do it, but he's not really entirely sure. God goes ahead and appears to Joseph in a dream. Why? Because couples need to move forward together. They need to move forward in the same faith. They, they need that. And God, it's not just Abraham's God. It's Sarah's God. He gave Sarah the H in her name just the way he gave it to Abraham. And uh, I think it's a beautiful depiction of that. Right, Adam? I mean, we see that spelled out in this verse, I think and so. now she's 100% included in the prophecy and the promise, and now she has the same faith. And uh, it's a little sad, though, because just the previous chapter, uh, I mean, Sarah laughed silently to herself in the tent, and she got a spotlight drawn on her laughter. And in the previous chapter, I, I don't know if yours says the same thing as mine, but in 17 it says, Abraham fell face down laughing to himself. Like, he didn't laugh silently to himself. He, like, toppled over. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, if anybody got called out for being, like, woolly offensive, and he even said the same thing that Sarah said. He said, will the son be born to a man 100 years old, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. So, 
talk about audacious, uh, but I don't know. Well, you can definitely see how they're married, though, can't you? I mean, they are just yeah. two peas in a pod. <laughs> they're a good couple. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's very interesting because in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, it says, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. Now, in the King James Version, when Lord is capitalized, it actually is referring to Yahweh, the name of Lord in the Old Testament. Um, some people would uh, say that it's Yahweh. You can't really, some people say you can't even pronounce the name of God. There's different pronunciations. But when the name of the Lord is used, God himself is appearing. Um, not necessarily through someone else, but it's him specifically appearing to him. And he sat, he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And so, you know, Sean and I were talking about this earlier, um, and it could be that the first verse is saying, hey, I, the Lord appeared to me, and then we're going to verse 2, and now there's three angels appearing. But many would actually refer to Genesis 18 as the first example and representation of, representation of Jesus Christ being um, revealed in Scripture or God actually speaking directly to His people in Scripture um, and appearing as Lord God and speaking. Now, if we go on later on, it actually talks about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and how these two angels came and appeared to uh, Abraham and said that he was going to destroy this um, this the city Sodom and Gomorrah now if it says here that there were three men so could it be that one of those men could have been the incarnate God in the form of the flesh the first appearance of God in the Bible Jesus in the Bible very likely who is appearing to Abraham and the other two were the angels that went forward to the city and as God's you know God is revealing obviously to these angels that you know this is going to happen to the city. You need to go down there and tell these people this. But he's also sitting there before Abraham and speaking um, in it in the form of a man, but Lord God. Well, talking about themes throughout the Bible, I mean, isn't it in the book of Revelations that there would be two, two witnesses that would condemn the world of its sin and testify, and they breathe fire out of their mouths and consume evil? Could it be these I two mean, men? Well... I, I doubt that, but it it's definitely a theme, you know. Uh, what I like is that um, there's a, there's a verse in the New Testament. I think it's Matthew, but Jesus is talking about people who receive him, and he says those who receive a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and those who receive a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward and I think about this verse and how Abraham was sitting out in the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day and he's he's obviously 
sitting there having a smoke or whittling a piece of wood or, you know, sipping his iced tea, watching the sunset. <laughs> Sit down having a smoke. Yeah, he could have just he could have just waved at these passers-by and says, howdy, you know, and that have been it. But he ran to them and he received them. And as a result, he received the prophet's reward. They gave him prophecy in his home for receiving the prophet. And then later, it says when the men got up to leave, this is after the part we actually read, they went down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Yeah. And imagine if Abraham had stayed sitting, and he just waved them out the door and said, all right, you guys have a good day. But he actually followed them down the roadways to see them on their way. And as a result of that, he received the righteous man's reward. He, uh, God not only gave him the prophecy of what he was going to do, but he allowed Abraham to, to actually be part of the council, you know, the divine council, and, and have a conference with about what he was going to do. And it elevated him even more. I, I do very firmly believe that the reason why many, many people believe that the New Testament is a false gospel or a, a false testament is because they haven't read the Old Testament. The no, New Testament possible. makes it very clear that Jesus is the Word and He is God. And people are like, oh, that's not from the Old Testament. That's ridiculous. Uh, no one can see God and live. Have you not read the Old Testament? Well, in reality, what they're saying is we haven't read the Old Testament because if you look into the Old Testament, there's many, many appearances of God in the flesh. You can even look in in uh, Daniel, and you can see yeah. the same thing happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in the fire, it's there a, was another man. It's a verse taken here, out of context. There's another man, and it's specifically talking about Lord appearing to them, Yahweh appearing to them. Now... Could it be that people haven't read the Old Testament and that's why they can't believe the New Testament? Very well might be. You know, until the Jews returned to their Holy Land, many people believed that the church had replaced Israel. Mm -hmm. And that Israel had no longer had a purpose in, in uh, God's uh, divine plans. It still might be true. You know, and I many mean, people still believe that, but most people now, after finding out what has happened with Israel returning to their land, the possibility of rebuilding the temple, is that a lot of these prophecies concerning Israel, and not only that, but scriptures referring directly to Israel and what's going to happen in the end times, is actually literal. There was no replacement of the Jews. There was no replacement of What's that, guys? I'm sorry. I, I need you to draw a connection because we went from serving dinner to the <laughs> apocalypse. Well, <laughs> well, what I'm saying is if you look here in the Old Testament and then you look in the New Testament, you find the same gospel. 
Yes, you do. So Hallelujah. you can't throw away the Old Testament and say that it's not relevant anymore. No. You can't throw away the Jews and Israel and say it's not relevant anymore because it's been replaced. There's a new covenant. There's a right. new testament. And it's the same covenant we've been reading about. It's all the same. It all comes together. Jesus doesn't come to wipe away the Old Testament. He comes to fulfill the law. And so we have to pull all these testaments together. And if you hear a preacher for 25 years and all he ever preaches is about is the New Testament, he may be a preacher that believes that the Jews have been replaced. He may be a preacher that believes that the Old Testament is irrelevant because it was the law and it has been done away with. Well, when Paul's referring that it has been done away with, he's not saying that it's done away with as it's useless well, or that it's not meaningful anymore. It's saying that it's been fulfilled in its fullness through who Christ is in our own lives. I, I get that question a lot. People are asking it a lot because, you know, one person makes a meme, I guess, and then it sweeps the internet by, you know, all across like a wildfire. And it doesn't matter how many times you answer the question. It's like people are just numb at that second because they're caught up in the hype. They don't care if it's easily dealt with. You know, everybody's asking, so they're going to continue to ask the question, what about the law? You know, if, if the law isn't done away with, then that means you still have to obey it. Because Jesus fulfilled it, but then you're following Jesus, so why aren't you fulfilling it? You know, but they don't. They don't, they read the Old Testament, and the reason the Old Testament is such a source of grief for them is they don't understand what they read. When God gave the law to the Israelites, he was giving it to the Israelites to establish them as a nation, as a people, a physical nation, a physical government, something in this world, his presence in this world. I'm a Gentile who came to the faith. My righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus even, well, I think it was Paul specifically said that if you allow yourselves to be circumcised so that, you know, you, you'll be fulfilling the law, he says, then that will obligate you to live under the law. And if you're going to live under the law, then faith in Jesus amounts to nothing. The Christ died for nothing. Right. Because there's righteousness by the law, and there's righteousness by faith. And you choose one or the other. Okay? Now, when you live under faith, you will, by your nature, obey the faith laws of is the flesh. The of that. And the law will help you give context. It will help define who God is so that you'll know how to please Him. Let me give written truth to what Sean is revealing right now. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, it says, For verily I say unto you, and this is Jesus talking after the sermon, uh, the blessed uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? The the Beatitudes. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. <laughs> Till all be fulfilled. Now, when a jot, jot and a tittle; those oh, were like jot. those are little apostrophes and stuff on the yeah. Hebrew letters, weren't they? Not you that actually made meaning to the word. And if you change one jot or tittle, the word changes. And so they're saying that it's not going to change till all be fulfilled. 
Now, has all been fulfilled? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. No, no, it hasn't. It has not. Jesus has not returned. The earth is not destroyed. The, Arm the battle of Armageddon is not over. Satan has not been thrown and cast into... No. So um, the law is still here, isn't it? Hades or hell. The law is still here. It says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, it's talking about the Old Testament, right. and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So I've heard preachers say it before. The old law is not meaningful anymore. Well, you know what's it's, funny? You, you don't have to not covet anymore. That doesn't mean anything. What what verse was you that? You don't have to, uh, you know, get married to one woman anymore. That Genesis law about, you know, you know, be one, and that, that, that doesn't apply anymore. You know, you don't have to have men wearing, marrying men, women. and No, men can marry men. That doesn't apply anymore. No, the truth of the matter is all the laws apply. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commands and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this is the interesting part, is depending on how you interpret that verse... To anyone who's still persisting in the fact that, well, according to that verse, we should all still be following the law. Can you name anybody in the New Testament whom the Pharisees accused of breaking the law more than Jesus? I mean, he was definitely Jesus accused. was constantly, and every time he broke the so-called law, he would come back and say, you didn't understand the law. You didn't understand what it was trying to accomplish. Which yeah. is greater, the letter of the law or the spirit? For I tell you, one kills, the other gives life. Well, and and he, he healed on the Sabbath. That was breaking the law. He did a lot of things. According to their own law. But He picked I think, corn on the Sabbath. Ah, you weren't supposed to do that on I, the Sabbath. I think the, uh, the point, what, the whole context, the uh, picture that you're trying to paint, is that this New Testament Jesus, these New Testament ideas, this New Testament person, when it says the Lord appeared to Abraham in the great trees of Mamre, you're saying that was Jesus. Yeah. And that this is Jesus in the Old Testament. Very much could have been. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying it very... He definitely, the Lord, Yahweh spoke to him. Now, was it through one of those three you know, heavenly beings that were there? I don't know. But right. I do know that God did speak directly. So I want to include this in the picture right now. We, we don't see it yet because we haven't read it. But these three visitors are on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to blow it up and destroy it and to kill a lot of people. If Jesus is one of these three men, then our Lord, whom we've come to associate with love and forgiveness and mercy turning the other cheek uh, this sort of grace that overcomes sin without yeah, blowing you right. to heck which is how many people separate Jesus from God right. they try to say well Jesus is the soft little cuddly guy and God is this mean little destruction yeah. guy and we're like no they're the same person yeah, they're the, yeah. and this would be Jesus on his way to Sodom mm -hmm. to blow it up right that's because very, yep. even though there's a time for mercy is it, they say in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for wrath too. There's a time for justice, uh -huh. and 
you're in the Lord's house, he will pick up that cord and whip you and say, my house is a house of prayer. You will not disrespect me. And this would be zeal for God's house consuming Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. in a way. But it is interesting to see Jesus being waited on and served food and drink and having his feet washed by Abraham, whom he will later turn to wash his disciples' feet. Saul. Sean, when Jesus came, to fulfill the law did it make the law meaningless in its written form for example do we have to observe the sabbath day do we have to um, um, honor our father and mother and do, do we have to follow the ten commandments do we have to follow the Old Testament laws? Alright. Because on. Jesus here says in uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. That was one of the laws. You can't kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Well, that's true. Because if you're murdering or killing someone, you're going to be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is even angry with his brother. So what I'm saying is there were many people during this time that were saying, don't kill. But they were going around like beating their wives and hurting their kids. And, and they were shooting the infidels, right? Quoting that verse, spare the rod and spoil yeah. the child. They were very angry, evil, wicked people. But they were keeping the law, quote unquote. Right. But in their hearts, they were worse well, than the people we, they were killing. We talked about that this last podcast. The difference between your deeds and your heart. And how your deeds, while they're an important part of your faith, they don't define your faith. Right. I mean, you, you've got those people who go to, to God on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? Did we not perform miracles and you know feed the sick and help the poor and yada 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 well the thing is if you were a sinner if there's evil in your heart then all the good deeds you try to do are tainted they're they've they've got filth in them they're poisoned yeah they are they've got a splinter of evil that is taking the deed and it's yeah. making it filth it's like 99% of a rat poison right. is actually food. It's 1% poison. And that doesn't seem like very much, but it's enough to kill. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm personally thinking of Oprah right in this moment where she's like, you get a car and you get a car and look at me. I'm so holy and loving and everybody loves me because I'm giving them money. When in fact, she's giving away pennies to the thousands of dollars people give her. She's a billionaire giving away a few thousand. Yeah. And people well, people are like, oh, Oprah, you're our savior. <laughs> and she's a narcissist. She's a megalomaniac. She has a TV show that is 24-7 about her. Her magazine is actually called Oprah with uh, an issue with her face on the front. It is a testament to herself. It's like Donald Trump. 
the right. Trump this, the Trump that, the Trump Tower, the Trump Estates. Everything's got to have his face and his name on it. And his home's made of gold. Is and You I, don't like Trump very much, do you? you? You've brought him up quite a bit. Are you a Trump fan? I just fan? brought him. I just now brought no, him No, no, I listened to two time. other podcasts you oh, brought up. Yeah. Well, he's the main topic. <laughs> he, he's the easy go-to metaphor right now, and no, uh, he, he's a, in many ways he's an advocate of the the Christian viewpoints yes, on many things. I know he's doing a good job as president. I'll admit, but is he a Christian? I don't think so. Yeah. He would have to get out of is his. Is God own using way. him though? Would be the question. Sure, possibly. probably. Um, but God used Pharaoh, so I, I, I think this is very peculiar. So in the church today. Why is it that so Jesus here was very, very, you know, very clearly pointing out the flaws in uh, the letter of the law versus faith and righteousness and holiness in fake, fake Christianity or faith or fake law-abiding people in real law-abiding people, pointing out the heart versus wickedness of the heart. Well, only and when God we do can that, know. When we do that in today's society. And someone like yourself, Sean, goes into the church and you're like, you see all these people who now have made love the law, the letter of the law. We must love. We must love. And so you have all these people very emotional and, you know, they're, they're crying with people, right. and, which is great, right? But what if love becomes the law in your own life and you have all these people loving everybody? But yet they go home and they're committing adultery. Or they go home well, and they're living with someone that they're not married to you in want fornication. To speci- or they go home and they're living in homosexuality. They're making this law, the letter of the law, just like in Jesus' time. They're making their letter of law, love. Right. It can be used in the same sense in any terminology or any form law can be used to define something that's not real. And I think that's what we have to do as as Christians. We have to really define what is real versus what is fake. And if, if well, preachers are like, "Oh, don't talk about that. Oh, let's not let's let's hide all that." That could possibly be a, a, a preacher who, you know, is allowing false doctrine to enter into their church and not speak about it. Well, uh, I think we have to speak up about what is false no, and fake, just like Jesus did. You're you're and define right. It. You're right. It, clear definition. You got to know the trouble. Here, here's the trouble with that. Okay, this is where the this is the fatal flaw of the letter of the law. Clear l- drawing a clear line in the sand. Okay, when you draw a clear line in the sand, people tend to get up, see how close they can get up to the line without crossing it. Everything becomes a loophole. Be like, oh, I can, you know, in the spirit of the law, you can cross over those lines, okay? But as long as your intentions are well. Does that make sense? And that's that's the big flaw. But your frustration that you seem to have expressed is how do we separate the genuine article from the counterfeits? How, how do we do that in our own lives? How do we look at our own heart and yeah. know, am I the real deal or the counterfeit? Well, uh, Satan can replicate love. I'm sorry to say this, but love is not a unique characteristic to God. It's not. 
And it might be what Jesus is known for, but it really shouldn't be because Jesus didn't preach on love a whole lot. What Jesus preached on, uh, actually he preached on health more than anything is an interesting topic. But no, when we talk about the spirit of the law and living by the spirit of the law, I think it's important to note what kind of spirit it was. Because this is the one thing that Satan can't counterfeit. That's, that's, that's good. It's the that's holy good. spirit. Right. Holiness. Identifying holy. spirit. What is holy? Okay. This, the angels that are up in heaven doing that little circle around his throne saying, holy, holy, okay. holy. That's the one word they sing repeatedly for all eternity is because God is so unbelievably holy. Satan is not. So let's turn Matthew 5 into something Jesus would say today. How about... Let's let's rephrase Matthew chapter 5. Matthew, Matthew chapter, chapter 5 verse 20. Let's rephrase it for today's audience. Let's pretend it said this. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes. Okay. Your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of those who go to church, right? Let's just say it says that. Uh, ye shall in no case enter to the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, by your mom and dad and those who used to preach to you, Thou shalt love. Right? Thou shalt love. You should have emotion. And whosoever shalt not love is in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, you, that anybody that says they love their neighbor and it's a man loving a other man shall be in danger of hell's fire you're trying to set the stage for the Sodom and Gomorrah <laughs> podcast no but what you? I'm saying is like <laughs> these could be rephrased into many different forms sure in our in our society today people think that they love because they have a feeling or no the law is the law and it it's maintained as a law through generation to generation. So if it was sin then, it's sin today. Don't just use what Jesus said and not rephrase it into modern day terminology of what it means, to, what it could mean to you today. Just because it's the law of the land doesn't mean it's the law of God. You know. Right. Anyway, that's my spill for the moment. It's gotten wicked so, today. Wicked. Sure. And even when you do save the righteous, you're saving wicked at the same time. I mean, going back to Genesis, I'm trying really hard to relate everything you say back to yeah, this passage. Yeah, let's go back to Genesis. This is a Genesis unrelated. Bible study. But I think Abraham did a remarkable job loving three strangers, didn't he? He's the king of his land, metaphorically. I mean, he's not literally king. But he runs out and bows low to three strangers, immediately welcomes them into his home, shows them grand hospitality, and says, please, Lord, if, if I found favor in your eyes, don't pass me by. Like, my heart is caught up in your accepting my gift. My, you know, this, this I, I give to you this, this humble token of, you know, my love for you please accept it oh how humble is that and 
him and Sarah immediately leap into it and they prepare. Yeah, a, he gave them gifts too. Yeah, it's a small a feast, honestly. A tender calf, <laughs> some curds and milk, butter. Yeah, and and all that. Bread. And then he stood under the tree in some nice shade. Yeah, and they he ate stood it. while they ate. Yeah. So that they'd have, I don't know, the rocks that were comfortable. And Sarah stayed inside, ready to prepare anything at a moment's notice. You know, yeah, I, I think that was incredibly kind Southern hospitality. Now let's these let's, people are Texans. So I let's can pretend tell. God comes to you, Sean, and He says, "See, that's where I'm convicted. I would have gone inside the tent the minute I saw three strangers coming by because I don't talk to my neighbors. I hate going to get the mail because I might accidentally bump into the one." The first of them. time I met Sean. Let me tell y'all a story because he's Sean is very interesting. Anti-social. The first time I met him, he goes, "I'm like, hey, good to meet you." He just looks at me. He's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I'm like, "No, it's good to meet you. I'm Adam. What's your name?" And we're shaking hands. And so he's like, "He's like, um, like I'll probably never like talk to you again. So like, why would I really talk to you now and get to know you? You know, kind of like." You asked me <laughs> you asked me questions about school and work and dating and we yeah, just met yeah. dude. Yeah, he Sean was, was just like, You're not like a good close friend, I'm not gonna reveal everything to you right now, right? Mm, that's <laughs> exhausting all that talk. We have to go in nine minutes because they're closing. Okay. Well, what I'm tr- what I'm trying to say here is, when God comes to you, Sean, and he and he gives you a promise, something that's completely out of your realms. Let's just say, he comes to you and says, "Okay, Sean, you're working at HEB or whatever you're doing in your life, uh, or Walmart or CVS, wherever you work." And he goes, "Sean, listen, I want you to quit your job, okay, sell your truck, and I want you to come and uh, minister, or preach, or do whatever." You don't have the money for it. Let's just say maybe he wants you to sign up for a fifty thousand dollars seminary or whatever. You don't have the money for it, or you know, and you have to have faith. You have to believe this thing, whatever, whatever it is. God's maybe something completely different than that. Sure. Sean, I want you to marry this person or whatever. And oh, if- you have to have faith. You have to believe. You have to overcome these crazy obstacles but most of the time what do we do just like Sarah we laugh and we say that's impossible well, <laughs> here's the thing I'm 90 years old I'm not going to have a kid if God reveals himself to me <laughs> and I know it's from the Lord and not just something I'm talking myself into because believe me I've seen plenty of people say oh this is this is God right. and they give me eight dozen different stupid reasons <laughs> That they have to believe that God spoke to them like, oh, I saw a license plate. It said 777 on it. That's an angel today. I'm getting spoken to by angel. Every time I see the color blue, that's God speaking to me. And yeah, I'm people, like, you yeah, idiot. We, we have you, a very – you listeners, beware. We have a society of people who think that you know, God is revealing new things to them. The, the truth of the matter is God has revealed everything to us in Scripture. And if whatever you're being told does not line up with Scripture, all your new things are wrong, right. okay? Our little Joseph well, Smith here's the revelation, thing. wrong. I agree with Sarah's Our little Watchtower Witnesses, wrong. Our little modern-day popes, yeah. you're getting new revelation, wrong. 
There's no new revelation. Well, Scripture is the revelation of God. You can get a personal message from God. Yeah. It's not necessarily it, new. Right. It's just unique. You can still hear from God. It just has to align with Scripture. That's right. So. And actually, reading Scripture is getting revelation from God. So go in a way, open your Bibles and find revelation today in your own heart. Let God speak to you. And when he does, don't laugh at him and think it's impossible. If you have sinned, you've fallen short, don't laugh at him and say, Ah, oh, you can't use me. Ha ha. No. Accept him. Have faith in what he's doing with you. Believe in him. Move forward in faith. And, you know, if you do laugh, oh well. Abraham did as well. He laughed. But then he goes, Oh, sorry, God. You know, Sarah laughed. Oh, oh, sorry, God. Okay. You well, know, she lied about it. Don't lie about it, people. You can't lie to y- God. You're not perfect. But believe God. Have faith in him. And do what he's called you to do.